Welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. This is episode... What episode is this? 57? Episode 57. This is episode 58 with Trace Hall. He is general sales manager at Thompson Cat. They are the cat dealer in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and part of Mississippi. I first met Trace through my friend Dylan Stevens, who runs Rosso Constructors. He works with Kirk Harris over there, and then Trace to buy his new equipment. And when I needed to do, uh, needed to rent some equipment for our recent company meeting, um, Trace was was super helpful with that. Got us some skid steers, excavators. Everyone had a great time, and then we bought our first little machine from them as well. So we have not had a whole lot of dealer folks on, and yet the dealers, the OEMs, the big manufacturers like Caterpillar, they touch just about the entire industry. So I wanted to have someone on who was at that sales level at a dealer to learn more about how the sales process works, how cat dealers sell machines, how territories work, and all that good stuff. So... With that said, we'll get started with our interview. Mr. Trace, if you need a piece of equipment in Tennessee or Mississippi, give Thompson a call. And here is the podcast. How do we sound? Yeah, yeah. I was trying not to like tip it over there. What about that? It's like is that perfect? And I'll try not to like turn my head too much. No, it should work. <laughs> we uh, yeah. As long as it's mostly Gotcha. Okay. We have a field set up too, so we can get like a foreman, superintendents, that kind of thing. Okay. And it just clips their shirt, yeah. so they don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And it's pretty slick. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that trip, though. I just I, be fun. I was looking at all the snow last week. I'm like, damn it! I wish I had my skid steer because I could have my I could have a killer plowing business right now. Yeah, there was <laughs> we had we had quite a few calls coming in for snow plows and yeah, which we don't normally stock snow plows. No, so no, yeah, there was uh, there was a big frenzy on getting machines moving to get the streets and parking lots cleaned off. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm gonna start my my snow plowing business. Nice once a year. Nice, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna to, everyone's asking me what are you gonna do with the skid steer? I'm like. I don't know yet. I got to get it first, and then I'll figure that out. <laughs> Maybe great driveways for free. I don't know. I think jobs will come to you when you get it. Oh, that, and that's yeah. what I'm afraid of is finding too much. Is the is the color still secret, or you is it out there? I've been talking about it a little bit. Okay. I'm going to post a mock-up here pretty soon Okay, all right. to start has, riling people up. Has Cat, has anyone from our team or Caterpillar like done a mock-up of it or done no. a picture? No, We could probably, I'm sure we could get one. If that you would know. be pretty cool. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm sure they have all these color templates. Mm-hmm. They've done a number of uh, number of different color combinations on machines. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be. A, it is white, correct? Yeah, white. Yeah. It's going to be a pretty well known machine. White and black. Yeah. <laughs> Just doing two thumbs up. You're going to keep the new logo on there? No. 
That's the first thing I'm going to do. That's is take the first all the thing you pulled off. That's, and I'm going to make a video about it and tag Caterpillar. Oh boy. Yeah, I, 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 I love Caterpillar. Like I'm, die, I'm the biggest cat fan in the world. But if it were my machines, my company, I'd be taking every single logo off and putting my company name on there because yeah. it's like, why am I advertising for an for, OEM? Yeah. This is not your machine. This is my machine, and I'm going to put my name everywhere. And Cat, they take. You know, they take the best real estate on the machine for their logo. And sure. then you see the company logo kind of off to the side and kind of the shittier area. Smaller logo. <laughs> it drives yeah. me nuts. It's like, yeah. just take the cat logo off and put your name nice and big on the stick and, and or the boom or, or whatever yeah. it may be. Well, and most uh, of the companies out there, you know, if you've been around machinery, you can tell without any logos you know, you, you know who they are. So, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't have to put a cat logo on a 349 right. to know, to okay, know it's a 349. 349. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um all right. Well, we can get going here. Um, what is your formal title? General sales manager. General sales manager. Yep. Okay. Chomping on that. All right. So I'm going to do my little intro outro later down the road, so we don't have to do any of that. Okay. So to get right into it, you are with Thompson. Machinery. Thompson Machinery. Yes. Nashville, Tennessee, based here. Yes. General sales manager. Yep. And there's two Thompsons, isn't there? There is. Thompson Tractor in Alabama and the Panhandle of Florida, and then Thompson Machinery. Same family going back a couple of generations, split in the 60s, and Hall Thompson at that time formed uh, or took over the, the area of Alabama and uh, Florida. And so we remained as Thompson Machinery. Same logo. Drive down I-65, it looks just like one of our locations, but it is, in fact, a different different dealership. So you guys are just Tennessee? Tennessee and the north half of Mississippi. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, we, oh. we cover essentially two-thirds of Tennessee um, and the north half of Mississippi. Can you explain how the dealer network works? Like, how what is a cat dealer? How do they define boundaries? What's a cat dealer allowed to do? Hmm. Can you just, like, just brief explanation on the dealer sure. network? The cat dealer network is um, in a, probably a maybe short summary is, we have a defined area as does every cat dealer. So there are no overlapping areas. And so Caterpillar gives the rights to a particular dealer to sell um, product and product support in a geographical area. And so there's only one and in a particular area and they do it by county. So. There, there are county um, boundaries, and so one county is essentially assigned to any one cat dealer. Mm. And so we have the responsibility for the, the bulk of the Caterpillar product. The one product that, that we don't carry in the Caterpillar product lineup is the um, industrial forklift. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, we carry all of the engines, the generators, um, and, of course, the machinery. And so... Our dealership has been around for 70, uh, over 75 years now. We had our 75th anniversary, anniversary in 2019. Uh, fourth generation ownership, and uh, which is unbelievable considering you, you think about the statistics of multi-generational companies and, and they go down dramatically in terms of uh, success rate after the second and third generation. So mm -hmm. still um, the, the dealer principal lives here in town and um, is a few steps from, from my office. So uh, it's, a, it's a great family organization to work for. And, and um, so I've been with them about 18 years. Going back to the, to the dealer network or the way a cat dealer works. So we originally started out 
um, in the Middle Tennessee area and expanded to West Tennessee through an acquisition and North Mississippi through an acquisition as well. So Mm -hmm. when a cat dealer doesn't have, potentially doesn't have heirs in the family that can take over the business or maybe the performance isn't where it needs to be and and, uh, acquisition happens, um, that's the territories can change that way. And that's the fascinating thing about the cat dealers is the the succession process because it's baked into the business. And if a cat dealer doesn't have a family member to take over the dealer as dealer principal, then it just goes up for auction and another one gobbles it up and you go on down the road. It's fascinating. It, it is. And, and as you can imagine, the, um, you know, one, while one dealer principal may be the perfect person to run the business. And if they only have one heir, they, and, and if they're not the right person to run the business, Caterpillar certainly uh, has, has maybe right or authority to say, yeah, we, this is not the plan that, that we have for this dealership to continue. And so, yeah, it's very much baked into the, to the plans and, and it's very much being talked about, um, you know, as someone that is in, um, you know, in the dealer principal position and, and maybe they're getting towards the end of their career. Um, I'm sure those conversations are very frequent. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, so to be a part of a, a dealership that is on the fourth generation is a, is a pretty pretty unique thing. Yeah, yeah. And and to, to explain the dealers, so if I'm in any county in the United States, there's an assigned dealer to that county. That's right. And if I'm in Davidson County, which is where we are today, yep. I buy from, if I want a brand new machine, I go through Thompson. Now, I can buy a used machine anywhere. That's correct. Use cat from anywhere. Yep. I can buy it from you. I can buy it from Ritchie Brothers. I can buy it from your neighborhood yep. equipment store. Yep. But new is just Caterpillar. New, that's dealer. correct. New iron is uh, generally sold through the dealer that uh, is responsible for that geographical area. You know, occasionally we run into situations where, a, you know, it's a corporate account or a you know, yeah. certain yeah. TVA, federal government, things like that. But, um, but yeah, it, it goes through that, that geographical dealer. Gotcha. So uh, you started, what's an entry level at a cat dealer? Well, there's, there is a lot of different ways to come into a cat dealer. And so I, I, I came in on the sales side of things. And so I was literally handed a set of keys and, and told to, to go sell skid steers. So nice. <laughs> skid steers are kind of uh, where, not kind of, they are where I got my start with the dealership. I had originally come from uh, the equipment rental business, and uh, came in and, again, handed a set of keys and said, go sell skid steers. But you can come in through a variety of ways. We have a really robust process or, or um, inside sales team, and, and that's a good way to an entry-level position for someone that wants to get into the dealership. They want to get into a sales role, whether it be product support or machine sales, and they really come in and, and learn the business from the ground up. Um, that's that's one area, and then of course the the technical side of the business. If you're a technician, um, which is the bulk of our our employment is technical in nature, and so that that of course is another way we we recruit heavily through the Nashville or the uh, what used to be Nashville Auto Diesel College, mm-hmm. uh, Lincoln Tech now, and so. As as you know, the the need for qualified technicians is big, and so. It is a full-time job. In fact, we just promoted um, someone a couple of months ago as a full-time recruiter because we recognize that 
there's always a need for qualified technicians. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. all this person does is try to find qualified technicians. <coughs> Choke him on and spit here. And you can, <clears throat> you can sell all the machines you want. You can sell all the skitsters you want. But if you don't have the people to fix them when they break or prevent them from breaking in the first place, you're going to screw yourself at the end of the day. So it's, it's the business is driven by the salespeople. But if you don't have the technicians to back up their promises, then you don't really have a business. That is, yes, no, no truer words are spoken. Yeah. So the, the saying goes that the sales department sells the first machine and product support sells the rest. And uh -huh. that is absolutely the case um, because, as you mentioned, they come to us to, to buy a machine, and, and we obviously have what we believe to be the best product in the market, and, and we can show you why it's the best decision, but we have to be able to back it up. Mm -hmm. and, and furthermore, our customers expect more. And so when we, we sell a premium product at a premium price, and so it's not enough to be able to do what our competitors do. We have to do more than our competitors do. Mm -hmm. And so it is a, it's a constant challenge to make sure that we're exceeding our competitors and meeting our customers' expectations. Because, it, yes, if we can't deliver parts on time, if we can't make hoses on the spot, if we don't have 24-hour service, if we don't have those things, our customers say, well, wh why did I spend more money to go buy a Caterpillar? Mm -hmm. And it's just as important, the service factor is to a Vulcan as it is a one guy with a, a skid steer. It's not really based on revenue or anything like that. It's like, if my skid steer's down, I can't work. If Vulcan's 349's down, they can't move rock and, and do what they need to do. But it's both really important to yeah. both customers. Yeah. It's it's. It's it, really interesting. It is, and and certainly not to take away from the the large fleet users, but in some ways they may have a little bit of an advantage in that they can potentially move a machine around if mm -hmm. we weren't able to get to it quick enough. Whereas the owner operator that runs one machine and he pulls it behind his pickup truck, if it goes down, he is dead in the water, and he has no ability essentially to to run and make money, and so. Um, and that customer base for us is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we on a given year, um, half, over half of the customers we sell to in 2020, for example, were new customers to us. So wow. most of those are one or two machine buyers. And so it is extremely important that we keep every one of them running. Mm -hmm. And so it's extremely important to that owner-operator who is making his house payment, putting his kids through school, whatever the case is, to make sure that that machine is running 100% of the time that he needs it. Well, and regardless of how good the product is, stuff breaks. Like, Absolutely. It, it, and that's the funny thing is every machine by every brand, every type of machine, like it all breaks. It all breaks. And you can do stuff to prevent it from breaking. It's still going to break at the end of the day. And, and so it's whenever I talk to people, you know, why do you buy cat? It's two, two reasons. Product support resale value are probably the two the only really two reasons it's you know you i love caterpillar and this and that or yeah my cat dealer's great or i just i you know the cat machine's better you know you have a few of those but it really is just product support resale value that's what i care about yeah and to that point the when you look at our competitors over the years they've gotten a lot closer to the to you know they're they're there's not as wide of a spread between the, the best machine in a particular class and, and, say, the fourth or fifth one. No, there's not. There, and so 
the technology that, that's coming out on these is is unbelievable, and that's you know Caterpillar, of course, is spending a ton of money in R and D on the technology side to be able to do something to offer an advantage that that is that makes the cat machine better than anyone else out there. But the other thing is we have to have parts on the shelf because mm -hmm. again, if we're selling a premium price and and a customer comes in to buy parts and we don't have them and you know we tell them it's going to be a couple of weeks. So, well, man, I could have saved some money and bought it from your competitor because he could have done the same thing and got me a part in a couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to have it next day or same day and, and get him up and going because then the value that, that he sees and the money that he paid more for a cat all of a sudden makes a lot of financial sense for his business. Well, and there's a, a, an irrationality component there too because if you're one machine on how you feed your family is down, and it, you're going to start becoming emotional about it and there's going to be financial pressure <laughs> yeah. and, and you just want it fixed. You don't yeah. care how it happens. And if it's not happening, I can see how there's, you know, you're, you're obviously frustrated, but there's some irrationality there too that you can get worked up about stuff. And I've seen people make very irrational decisions. Well, they just weren't helping me out this one time. So they just get rid of everything and yep. go, go to the other guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We, we have definitely been a part on, we've been on both ends of yeah, that spectrum. Sure. And, and so very much so it, it's, uh, you know, if, but to, to be fair, I mean, you know, if, if someone came to any one of us and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull away this week's wages for essentially maybe no reason or without notice, totally. you'd be pretty fired up too. And oh, so, yeah. I, you know, I can understand why they get fired up, but it's our responsibility to, to get them up and going and, and just make sure that we're taking care of them as, as best we can as, as what they would expect. It's not always – it doesn't always meet their expectations, but um, generally we can um, we can get to a mutual agreement if it isn't exactly as they'd like. Hmm. How uh, how do you sell a machine? I, 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 how do you go sell a skid steer? So yeah, that's a it's a good question, and there's a lot of different ways to sell a skid steer. So yeah. uh, or any machine, you know, as you mentioned, um, I can't or as I mentioned, I came in selling skid steers. So when I came in, this was in 2003. Uh, the skid steer for Caterpillar was a pretty new product. And so mm -hmm. at that time, Bobcat was kind of the known uh, known brand on the market. And so I spent a lot of time just cold calling, going down list of plumbing contractors and concrete contractors. I spent a lot of time driving through construction areas and literally just hopping out and talking to someone. Mm. And so obviously that's your your more traditional cold calling method. And then the other the other part, as I mentioned, over 50% of our customer or new machines that we sold last year were to, to new customers. The other part of those were, were obviously existing customers. And so those range from very large civil contractors to governmental agencies to industrial accounts. And those, we have generally had some sort of long-tenured relationship, I mean, from a year to you know decades. And so um, obviously those relationships become very deep and become multi, um, you know, multi-pronged within the dealership. So we have product support reps calling on their fleet managers. We have sales reps calling on their owners. We have ownership within our dealership calling on, on their ownership. And so we have a lot of people touching the, those types of accounts. And then going down to the, to the other end of it where you have one person, one contractor that pours concrete, let's say, or as a landscaper, um, his sole point of contact is his skid steer salesman. He calls mm -hmm. him for parts. He calls him for service. Yeah. He calls him when he wants to buy a new one. He's his liaison to Cat Finance. He's, 
he's basically everything for his business and for his communication with the dealership. So um, going back a minute ago, I mentioned inside sales reps. So that's been a that's been a tool and that's been a, a department that we've leveraged pretty heavily in the last five or eight years, five to eight years, I guess, um, where they will do a lot of communicating with customers over the phone. So it doesn't make financial sense to have product support sales reps physically driving to touch thousands of machines that are spread across 99 counties. Yeah, There are customers that are hard to track down. They don't have email. They have Maybe they have a cell phone. Maybe they leave in their truck during the day. And so we, it's our job to try to get in touch with them, to, to sell product support or to stay in touch with them over the phone rather than someone driving in a truck. But a lot of the job is uh, when, when selling a machine is just being in front of a customer so that when he gets ready to buy, he thinks, hey, I need to touch base with a Caterpillar dealer. Hmm. And it, 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 it's fascinating to think about because a lot of these people are very transient like if you have a skid steer, you're oftentimes in a different place every single day of the week. So tracking these guys down, like you don't just roll their office with a box of donuts, be like, hey guys, how you doing? Want to buy a cat? It's, it's you know, you got to track these people down. And then, yeah, a lot of them don't have emails. A lot of them don't really answer their phone. <laughs> a lot of them don't want to use any kind of website whatsoever. Yeah. So they're still, they still need to have that face to face, but then they're really hard to track down. <laughs> yeah. It's what's funny about, and we really kind of buck the trend a little bit in terms of maybe marketing and, and communication via um, our website. Mm-hmm. So we've taken a ton of voice of the customer. We've done a ton of analytics. And so traditionally you would think when, when someone's getting ready to buy a piece of equipment, they're going to go online and look at it and kind of fine tune what they want before they contact a dealer, especially if it's their first piece. So the, what we have found through a number of studies, and this goes back just within the past two years, this is not 15 year old data is that over 80% of the customers as per they tell us are not going online before they purchase anything. So they're getting a word of mouth from their friend, from their buddy, who's also a landscape contractor, um, and then just kind of tribal knowledge or, or views of the cat dealer. Hey, I know that those guys are going to take care of me, so I'm going to stop in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's our job for the ones that don't feel that way. It's our job to try to get in front of them. And a lot of it is just in the truck. I mean, you have to be very aggressive to go out and, and talk to every contractor. If you're driving down the road and you see someone running a piece of equipment and you don't know who they are, if you're a salesman, you need to put that that truck in park and go talk to them. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself, especially the, the Saney on rent. Call, yeah, call look out for yeah. those guys. Yeah. yeah, no, no, hold on here, hold on. <laughs> um, uh, jokes, jokes. Um, how do you, as a manager, stress the importance of that one guy with a skid steer compared to a big ass account? Like, because as a young guy. I would see the big account, you know, you have a customer here in town with 6015s and 777s mm-hmm. and the big sexy iron moving dirt and spending tons of money. And, and I'm sure they're one of those big accounts that's called on by tons of people. But, but the, and that's where I would want to be. But that, that single customer is really important to the business overall. How do you drive home that importance of, hey, you know, this actually really drives the business. We need to care for these people and, and view the guy with the skid steer just as the same as the guy with the 6015. How do you drive that home? There, there's a couple ways to do that, and, and I would say the first and the main way that we do that is sort of alignment like K-12 
Caterpillar. And what I mean is Caterpillar has geographical areas for the assigned dealer. So Thompson Machinery has 99 counties. We break that territory down also geographically and assign sales reps. And we've done it a couple mm-hmm. different ways over the years. We've had different industry segments, but what we always tend to go back to is geographical areas. And so within that geographical area, if you're a sales rep and you cover three counties in in West Tennessee, we pay a ton of money every year to get data. And so we know every year what that opportunity is. We know that last year, it's always rearward looking, but last year there were 20 of these sold and 50 of these and 100 of those. And so it's really easy to go to that sales rep and say, this is your opportunity. And we, we have got a number of scenarios where a sales rep's opportunity is 90% skid steers. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easy to say, look, if you want to make a commission check, it's pretty important that you sell and take care of this customer base because yeah. there, you had an opportunity of five, let's say, 323 size excavators. Well, let's say you got half the market. Okay, you're two, three machines. I don't think you're going to feed a family on two or three machines a year. And so it's almost it, that part sort of takes care of itself um, in terms of recognizing that opportunity. The other thing is we have dedicated skid steer sales reps. So when we look at our total opportunity in a given year, and so last year um, our opportunity for skid steers and mini excavators was over 65% of our total unit opportunity in uh, in unit numbers, not in dollars. Mm-hmm. So if 1,000 machines were sold, 650 of them were uh, skid steers and mini excavators. Wow. And so it's pretty easy to, to determine, hey, if we get that market, we can keep the lights on, we can you know, mm-hmm. take care of all these customers. And those customers grow into big customers, yeah. right? Yeah, the like large it, customers. Like that you, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, those yeah. customers don't start that big. They start with one machine typically. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty easy to draw that inference to say, look, that cut, not every one of them is going to become that, but some, some of them are. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to grow into very large accounts. And so, and then the other thing is the commission structure. I mean, we have a pretty aggressive commission structure based on, the, the machine. So, I mean, someone can make a very good living selling skid steers. Do you think incentivizing people with commission works all the time? It depends on the person. Not everybody. Yeah. I, I, mean, I disagree with that structure. D- well, so it, again, it, not everybody is driven by money. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there are sales reps that are extremely money hungry. And they're the ones that when the commission statements come out, they, they, ping my email and say, hey, this isn't right, that, you know, what's going on here, whatever. And then there are ones that I never hear from mm-hmm. on the commission side. And it almost tells me, hey, that yes, the commission is sort of a byproduct of selling machines and taking care of customers. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, generally that's a that's a very kind of old school technique, I guess, is commission drives the behavior. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a sales role. And we've we've looked at different approaches over the years. We've experimented with different things, increasing commissions um, based on certain things and to see if the behavior does change. And mm-hmm. surprisingly, more often than not, we we find that it does. And and so, but we try to, I mean, there, there's a we try to make it an even balance to where it's not the only thing driving them because yeah. we want them to take care of the customer. We want them to not sell them something because they're going to get the highest commission, but rather because that's what they need. And so we try to level that playing field in that structure. Well, and if you, if you give them what they really need, 
it 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 sometimes could hurt you short term, but long term, oh, sure. if their business is better, you do better because right. then they buy more machines and it right. all works at the end of the day. And I would say, contrary to popular belief, at least for all of the sales reps that work for Thompson, I don't believe that there is a one that would steer someone to buy a machine over a different one solely based on commissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that Thompson machinery honesty, integrity, and I know those are uh, very common types of things that are the vision of a lot of companies, but we do live by those things and, and, you know, positive attitude. And so I believe that if you hire the right people and have a good work ethic, they will take care of the customer regardless of what the commission is. I agree. I mean, that's where we're at too. That's the mentality we try to yeah. foster. It's not really about selling. It's just about caring for people. Yeah. If you care for people, then you in turn do better at the end of the day too. Yep. And they do better. Everyone can win here. No one has to lose. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people, you know, as in the last 10 years, we've hired a lot of younger people as that, that um, baby boomer generation is leaving the business. And, and so they're, they're leaving sort of in waves. And so as, as I've gone through a lot of interviews and through inside sales reps, outside, whatever, I tell people, and, and I kind of boil it down in my mind to three things that make a salesman successful, and in and no particular order, I think the first is um, they have to have a good work ethic. So it doesn't matter if they're driven by money or driven by fame or whatever, but if they don't have a good work ethic, it almost, it, it just isn't going to work because they're out, they don't have someone waking them up every day to say, go, you know, go make sales calls. It's a, it's a very independent role. Um, it's a very independent role. I yeah. mean, we give them the support to, to hopefully do what they need to to succeed. But at the end of the day, it, it's on their shoulders to, to go succeed. The second one is um, do what you say you're going to do, which is amazing in this business. How many of our competitors, how many just people, and not just in this business, probably in a lot of businesses, but don't do what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've, you know, you're renovating this space here, if you've called contractors and if they know you, they, they probably are not this way, but, um, you know, you call someone to get a quote on something and they don't, they say they'll call you back and they don't. It pisses I mean, me off. It's, yeah. it's amazing yeah. that you're saying I'm, I'm willing to spend money and, and yet you, I can't even get a call back. Yeah. And so, and well, I've even, seen it. It's like, even if you're too busy, say it's Monday right now, and I'll give you a, hey, I'm really tied up in the next two days. I'll give you a shot on Wednesday. Exactly. Rather than saying, I'll call you right back. And then I would rather just, hey, just tell just me it's going to be Wednesday. Exactly. And then we don't have any problems here. And that's, I think, I appreciate that. I think our customers appreciate that. Just do what you say you're going to do. So don't, to your point, don't say you're going to call on Friday when you know darn good and well, you're not going to get a chance to get into it till Sunday mm-hmm. and call him back on Monday. Tell him, look, I'm really busy. Like you said, I'll call you back on Monday. So I think if you do hard work ethic, do what you say you're going to do and have a positive attitude. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. I mean, it's amazing the the folks that are just generally positive, they they do better. Well, they just do better in general. Yeah, like they, I mean. Better in their careers, better in their life. Like you just right. want to be around them. But so many people, as when you start, you kind of have to think about like identifying positivity, negativity. And once you start really thinking about it, it's everywhere. Like so many people are so damn negative yeah. about stuff. And just even just how they like they'll look out and it's raining, man, it's just the weather sucks. It's like, well, 
I mean, what, what, what's to say it sucks? Like it's, it's, it's raining. Yeah, yeah. So it's not sunny, but that doesn't mean it sucks. Like, right. or yesterday or, or last week was a perfect example of the snow. It snowed all week. <laughs> yep. And everyone's like, I can't wait for this damn snow to get out of here. It's like, yeah. why don't you just enjoy the snow? Like it's here. It doesn't happen often. It doesn't it's, happen right. often. Get it's, out it's and enjoy reality. it. Yep. Yeah. It's, yep. it's here whether you like it or not. Yep. Every so place is shut down. It? You're not the only one, you know, that's, yeah. that's dealing with this. And I, so. like, I get it. It sucks. Like maybe like in construction last week, no one was working. And if you're not working, you're not getting paid. Like I get that there's pressure and all that, but you still don't have to have a shitty attitude about it. Right. I, I just don't. Well, understand. and back up and look at the big picture too, because yeah. they weren't doing a lot last week. So it's a good time to get caught up on some things that you're really yeah. t- when the when it's bright and sunny and you're going a thousand miles an hour. Some of these other things get left behind. It's a perfect time to get caught up on some of that. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence when you look at going back to sales. When you look at a person or a department's performance, if if they are positive, they just do better. Mm-hmm. And and th- their outlook on things creates an environment where customers want to be around them. And so, and they, they, I mean, you want to do business with people that are easy to do business with and, and positive. What, uh, do you guys explain any of this to technicians out in the field? Because I know in the shop, it's a little bit different. They're not exactly customer facing. The guys out in the field are, are arguably your most customer-facing people yeah. in the entire business. Do you guys spend any time with these people? Because some of them can be a little rough and tumble, and or some of them just not good with people. Or I mean, the, how do you approach that? That's tough. And and admittedly, we don't uh, we 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 don't do as good of a job as we should. Yeah. And so we are embarking on some more training, customer-first training. It's a, a I mean a Thompson training um, platform that we use. And so we do try to get our customer facing folks some at least base level training to know how to deal with customers. And mm-hmm. so if you take a technician that's always spent is, you know, or he spent the bulk of his career under the hood of a, of a wheel loader underneath the machine and, and not really dealing with people and then say, Hey, I need you to be a salesperson. And he's like, well, I'm not a salesperson, I'm a technician. Well, Everybody at the dealership is a salesperson because anybody from our, our uh, accounts receivables department, our IT department, technicians, parts, it doesn't matter. They're, they're touching somebody that, that's sort of a customer. And so we, we are doing more training on that, but it is tough. Um, and, and I know you've done some, had a lot of conversations with um, Caterpillar dealer operator or um, operator folks. And so we have a demonstrator operator that a couple of them that work for us. And they're, that's a very unique position because they have to have sort of sales, kind of a sales mindset, but be Mm -hmm. technical in nature and have communication skills. So having all of that can be, it's, it's tricky to find the the right balance of that. Those guys are unicorns. They are. They absolutely are. And, and they will sell a ton of machines for us because the customer really values what they say because they're not, they're coming at them from a different angle. They're like, well, that's not a salesman. So I'm going to really trust what he says. You yeah. know, if it's a new customer and you know, that sometimes sales folks can get the, uh, get, get a bad, you know, bad image. Yeah. Um, and so th- those folks are extremely important to, to our business. Well, it, it is funny with just me. I don't trust salespeople <laughs> as much because I'm just, I'm so jaded and, and traditionally sales, it's like marketing. It's really just been crushed by so many bad practices, bad businesses, bad salespeople. It's like your salespeople are great, but the the profession 
has sure. a little bit of a black eye it, from like the, yeah, you know the sleazy car salesman. Car, yep, like, yep. like just get get a like. It's so funny. I went to a car dealership the other day. You drive up, you're swarmed immediately. It's like it's like these flies. Like just just get like I yeah. I know why I'm here. I know I'm gonna talk to. I don't need you. Like just get away from me. Um, and same with marketing. Like people have this distrust for marketing companies because they've tried to just peddle all this. I call it snake oil. Right. But it's like no 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 like. I'm telling the truth. I promise. Like I'm here yeah. to, I'm here to help you not to take your money. It's well, but you have to work past it a little bit. And to that point, you know, if you have, we, and we've had these conversations over the years where maybe a field technician said, Oh yeah, we got lots of problems with these machines. Well, what he just may have said may have been true for his experience. He may just happen to have worked on this one particular wheel loader a couple days in a row. And he didn't think what he was saying was that detrimental. And the customer heard, oh, my gosh, like this is a limited yeah. machine. Like, I should not buy this. And so, you know, we have to, we have to help coach through those situations. And, and um, you know, it's tough. I, I can understand that's not their profession to be in, in sales, so to speak. But we do, we do a, we're doing more of that training to, to uh, put the customer first and help them understand that contrary to what may be on a business card, we're all sort of – sales folks and, and we're representing the company. So how do you deal with a pissed off customer? <laughs> Cause I'm sure, I mean, maybe you've never had to deal with that. No, no, we, it's, it's, yeah, we've, we've not had any of those over the years. I'm, so. I'm sure there's one or two in there somewhere. <laughs> so how do you even, how do you approach that? You know, everyone, every situation's a little different. A lot of it just boils down to figuring out what the problem is. And, and we went through some pretty in-depth, um, sales training a few years ago. And one of the things that the gentleman that, that went through this was led the course for a couple of days is he said, you have to go below the line. Mm-hmm. So what, what does that mean? Well, there's, there's issues and then there's kind of the root cause of the problem that's below the line. So, and, and oftentimes, depending on how, how big a problem it is, I mean, if it's just a machine that's broken, we need to get a part for it. That's different. But if it's a systemic problem that we can't ever correct and he's always mad at us because we're, we're never fast enough, we're never, we don't have the parts, whatever the case is, oftentimes there's an underlying problem that is bigger than just the machine. And so it, it can be tricky to try to identify, okay, what's going on here? Why are, why are we always behind the eight ball here? Well, a lot of times it's, it has nothing to do with you too, I've realized. Like sometimes we'll get into, someone will be really pissed off about something and it's not even that big of a deal, but we, we want to make it right. But you start right. getting into it and then you find out maybe something's going on at home or there's this exactly. pressure, you know, financial pressure in business or they're, they're up against the wall by, you know, everyone questioning their decision making. And then you start to unravel it. You're like, okay, all now right, I, see, I yeah. see what's going on here. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our customer facing folks that deal with them regularly kind of have to be therapists and try to try to figure out what's going on. Really? So yeah. I don't have a uh, prior to, to going to work in the equipment business out of college. I didn't grow up in the business. I've got a psychology degree and a, and a psychology in business. And so I oftentimes feel like I'm trying to uh, figure out and be a little bit of a therapist to figure out what's going on. And, you know, is it, is it us? Is it them? Is it the machine? Is it Caterpillar? Uh, the manufacturer, you know, what, what's going on. And so a lot of it's asking questions, mm-hmm. listening. I think we don't do enough listening. It's pretty easy to try to solve the problem. I know I'm guilty of immediately trying to fix something rather than trying to really learn and understand and then take it back and work on it and come back potentially with a solution. 
not everything is a silver bullet. Like, oh, okay, here's your problem. Boom, there's your solution. Mm-hmm. What next? They're not always that easy. Is there sometimes where the customer's not always right and you got to, all right, we're just going to let this one go? Or do you try to always fix it? No, I mean, there, there are... Um, there are Certainly, they're not there. always right, and, yes. and, and we're not always wrong. And so I, I've used this analogy a ton. So when I was learning to drive, my dad um, always taught me to be a, a defensive driver, and, and he used the, the analogy, okay, you pull up to a stop sign or stop light, you have the green light, but you, you need to look both ways because if someone's getting ready to run their red light and yeah. plow into you. Yeah, you were you were in the right. <laughs> I mean, you had full right to go across that intersection. Yeah. Would you rather be wrong or dead right? Yeah. Like, okay, that's great. You were right, now you're dead. So who wins there? And so I think as it relates to business and our customers, yeah, I mean, there's times that we could try to prove our point and say, no, by God, this is the way it is. You know, we're right and you're wrong. But if he decides to take his business elsewhere, <laughs> then what have we done? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, great. I proved my point, but he's taking his business elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, there's times you have to swallow your pride and and um, recognize that this isn't about right or wrong. Let's just come to an agreement that works for you and it works for us and, and move on. It sounds simple, but pride is a big, is a tricky thing in this world because there's a very proud, there's a lot of very proud people in this in this industry and it plays an enormous role in decision making and how people talk with one another, it's it's very tricky to navigate. Yeah, as you mentioned in this industry, especially and and uh, you know, I think a lot of what you're doing in the business is and and the transparency that's coming about in our business is helping that. Yeah, um, you know, for years, I think it it was the pride it, it was and and still is a, a big component of that. And so, um, going back to the image of sales and things like that, you know, they. People want to feel like they've won, and so, and it doesn't always be sales. I mean, it could be um, anything related to the the relationship with the you know with the dealership to say, no, I'm the customer, and I'm always right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there there are companies that take take the stance of the customer is always right. There's ones that you know that you know just have to prove their point. Um, I think it's it's about keeping a customer and coming to an acceptable middle ground if, if we, you know, if we can't agree. So. Yeah. I'd say we're farther on the customer's not always right direction than the customer's right direction. Cause we, I mean, we're in a unique position where it, we try to attract the right customer from the beginning. We don't need to appeal to everybody and we don't really have direct competitors that were, that are poaching our market share or whatever. It's way different than a cat dealer. So we can be a lot more selective up front. And then if someone's a pain in the ass during the process, <laughs> demand is there. So we can say, Hey, this isn't the right fit. We're going to go in the other, like it's either you're in or you're out. We're going to, we're going to do our best, but if you don't get it at the end of the day, I'm not here to just continuously sell you on this process every two months. Like that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. We, you know, it's funny over the years, there's been, I would, I can recall just a very few examples of, of a situation where not, we don't fire customers, right? It's not like they work for us, but um, there have been situations where we can't come to an agreement. And it is they are better off, and we are better off to part ways because makes it, sense. It, it just we're, the relationship doesn't work, and and that is very rare. I mean, I generally feel like we are a um, a company that is will bend over backwards to take care of the customer, and and they pay the bills. 
um, and we have a lot of them. And we recognize that with a lot of customers, thousands of them, there's a lot of personalities. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be very, very flexible in our business. What do you think Cat can do better? Well, before we got on the air here, uh, you know, we were chatting about them being the manufacturer and us being the representative, the dealer to sell their product. Um, I think that with the access to data, it's a really good thing because, you know, we, we can, you can spend an entire day diving into one segment of the business and, and um, just really crunching numbers and data. But, and I'm guilty of this as well, but not understanding the customer's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that, and that, that's not widespread. That's not a, a problem all within CAD. I, I just think that um, sometimes there are either segments or parts of CAT that have sort of lost touch with the, you know, the need of the customer. And the other, and to kind of go along with that, there's, a, there's been a shift of customers in the past 10 to 15 years that new customers are coming into the business. And so where for years that, let's say we, we dealt with a customer that had been around for 40 years and we'd sold them equipment for 40 years and they were cat through and through. Well, that, that stays around for a while. And, and while I'd love to think, hey, we're doing great things, a lot of it is because they have a history with us and so they continue to buy from us. So as long as we don't really screw it up, mm-hmm. hopefully they will continue to do so. Well, a new startup who whose dad is, you know, a doctor, but this guy wants to go into business to, to move equipment. He doesn't have potentially the, the background and the knowledge of the cat dealer and the cat dealer network and what we bring to the table. So creating that value from scratch is, is a challenge. It's a challenge for the dealership. And I think Caterpillar um, in some, some form, you know, really starting to recognize that, but these startup companies, um, I think they're doing it through technology really well, but I think when the the um, basic approach to the way a cat dealer sells equipment sometimes is is more old school. No, that that that's definitely my take on it. I think cat corporate, yeah, they're 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 up here. They make great products, but they're very disconnected from reality, in my opinion. And they're great. Okay, you run comparisons, you visit customer sites, you have customers to your facilities, but you don't really understand the customer a lot of times. I've seen this just such a disconnect. It's like within your organization, you're the one actually in front of the customer. And beyond that, like your technicians probably understand the customer better than anybody because they're actually out on the site every single day, really seeing what the problems are, which is the only reason how. If, if I relied, if I based my understanding on the industry and what the problems are based on conversations with Dylan conversations with, you know, James Milburn of Milburn Demolition and Mike Reed of Reed Contracting, I wouldn't really understand the problems in the industry because, and and I, you know, within my organization, I don't even see a majority of the problems where I sit, but because I spend so much time on job sites with operators, with laborers, with foremen, seeing earth moving operations, I'm able to start connecting dots and really understanding the problems. And that's what's missing, I feel like. Right. And you mentioned that you were in your business, you kind of see that. And how many employees are you up to now? 25. So, so it's not even that big. So 25 people. And, and I'm sure you can, you can note a change from when it was one or two to 25. Well, Huge. you know, we're over 600 people. And so this yeah. isn't a, just a cat problem because I am 100% guilty as charged. So I was in sales until 2007 
and have been in management ever since. Well, I've lost touch with the customer base. I mm-hmm. spend way too much time in the office, way too much time behind spreadsheets. But it's a big engine. We have to have a lot of inventory. We have to. There's a lot of things that have to go into to motion to have equipment for our salespeople to sell. And so, it's as as we were joking earlier. I mean, we sell tractors. It it isn't that complicated. Now we tend to overcomplicate it um, a lot. The, I do think that the technology piece to the machines themselves is uh, certainly a way to understand what the customer is needing better. Um, but it's it's tough with all of the data at our fingertips to spend too much time looking at that and kind of losing touch with what a customer is actually telling us. Well, and the, like, like, like a very common disconnect I see is these cats putting in all this great technology in their machine standard now. Like you buy mm-hmm. a 323, you're going to get payload, you're going to get uh, grade control, you're going to get, um, you know, the, the swing the e-fence or whatever the hell it's called. No one uses any of that in the field. <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're so proud of all these amazing things, and they are amazing. They're really, really useful. But then no one uses them in the field. <laughs> and so you just, you just see that. It's like there's this very glaring disconnect of, great, you guys are creating these amazing things on these excavators, but you're not explaining and educating people on how to use them so what's the point of even putting them in there in the first place is, is my opinion. And that's, you know, again, I'm just an idiot. So what do I know? But that's what I've seen is there's just like, it's just disconnects like that. That's so obvious to me. Like they just, you know, turn the computer off and let me just do the diggy thing that I've been doing. And I know best. I don't, I don't want the computer. I just want the excavator. That's all I want. It, it's a tricky balance because Caterpillar obviously is um, a, one of, if not the highest priced when, when we go to quote yeah. a machine, right? Uh, so it's incumbent on the manufacturer and the dealer to add value for that price. So it's, it, and it, in some ways, it's almost like it's a snowball to say, well, we're, we're higher, so we're going to add more value. And so, but if we add more of this, then the price has got to go up. And as opposed to, hey, let's, let's make a more basic machine, which we have seen Caterpillar come out with the GC products. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a lot of value and there's a lot of place for that. Um, you know, we could have a whole nother discussion probably about nomenclature, but, um, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of a challenge, but I think a lot of that burden does fall back on the dealer to, to explain all of the value. And frankly, it's tough because if, if Caterpillar were to write a script without dollars associated, we would have a specialist for everything. Well, the reality is, um, at, at a mid-sized cat dealer as we are, it's tough to, I mean, we can't have a specialist for everything. It, it wouldn't make financial sense. And so we would have a specialist just for medium excavators that talk, that knew all of the features of, of technology and 2D and e-fence and e-wall and all that. And they would go out to every customer and that's all they did. And then we'd have the same person for a wheel loader. Well, guess what? We also have to have relationships to, you know, to get to that point. And so it's, it's a balance because cat is coming coming to us with a ton of R&D and a ton of value in the machine, but then we have to understand it and then translate it to the customer. And I would, but I argue that that's where the business needs to go is starting to have those experts internally, starting to have more training, starting to be more proactive about teaching people and playing a bigger role in, especially just bringing up the next generation too. It's Caterpillar. That's the one that's really screwed if they can't find operators and seats, for example. 
they're the ones that are really screwed and yet they're doing nothing about it really. And, and that's painting with a very broad brush, but you know, the guys in Peoria and Tanaha for training and the CDIs, it's great, but it's, it's such a small, 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 small percentage. And they touch a very, very small fraction of a percent of the industry with training. And, and the, one of the biggest complaints I've heard, especially in the technology thing is, yeah, I just bought all this Trimble. And so they sold me it. And, and now I can't get a call back. Now they won't even show me how to use the damn thing. And so that's where I think the businesses do need to start to change and have these people that are just more hands-on to just teach people how to use stuff. And Kat's viewed it as, nah, it's not our problem. But it's like, no, it's very much your problem. And, and until you do something about it, nothing's going to be solved here. And it's only going to get worse. Yeah, there's there's definitely been a shift in in the in the need for that level of training because you know again if you go back 20 years and the amount of technology that was on a wheel loader, a haul truck, or whatever, it was pretty basic compared to what we have today. It was it was now, at the time it yeah. was probably you know it was high tech, but in terms of how complicated things are today, and going back to technicians. You know, technicians used to turn wrenches. Now they, I mean, they still do that, obviously, but they have to know how to navigate a computer and ET and yeah. all these Plug different the systems. If they don't know how to operate yeah. the systems, turning the wrenches, I mean, that's not the easy part, but they have to know how to navigate a computer. And so it, it has gotten very complicated. And, and um, you know, it, it's not, I think it's a, obviously it's a cat and a dealer problem to, to solve. Um, you know, we're on the front lines. You know, it's on us to figure it out as well. We're trying to do it. I mean, that's why I bought a machine too. So, so now I'm a cat customer and now I have a little Thank bit more you. weight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm one of those skitcher, skitcher buyers. But now I have a little bit more weight as far as, you know, I just gave a presentation to Quincat uh, the other day and I explained, hey, I am that next generation of customer that could care less about your traditional ways of marketing and attracting me. I did not buy because of any of that. I don't care about any of what you're doing. And just just really, really frank, I would have bought this thing on the internet if I could have just <laughs> ordered it on, on your website and said, yep, I'd want a 259 and buy it now. And then I go talk to the sales rep later just so I have that person. That's how I would have done it. We did that recently, by the way. We sold a machine to a computer programmer that, that bought a machine online and we delivered it and he mailed us a check. I would have loved to do, <laughs> I, I, and I would have done that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's, I, I was, I, but, but to illustrate the point, I quite literally had to buy a machine. So it's, you can't refute it. Yeah. This guy is the next generation customer and he did buy totally differently. It's like, yeah, right. now I have a very significant data point myself to prove that, Hey, the world's changing and this is how we do things now. So it's, yeah. And it's tough to, you know, we, we, you, I'm sure you've heard the term VOC, you know, getting the voice of the customer. It, it's one thing to get the voice of the customer, but then to do something with it and change the way you do business is the tricky part. Mm -hmm. Because I've said for years, I think we would, if we could get truthful answers for why a customer buys from us or why they don't buy from us. I mean, we get some pretty good feedback, but I think we would be shocked if they were really 100% truthful, like, oh, well, I bought because it's a good machine and he gave me a good trade value. Well, if you really peel back, put my psychology hat on, if you really peel back the onion, is it because he did have a relationship with the sales rep or is it because we, on a previous machine, uh, uh, hose broke, burst, whatever, O-ring went out and we got him fixed at you know 11 p.m. and he just remembered that we took care of him and bent over backwards or... The other is we lost a deal because we didn't do that, 
and maybe we had the best deal. And so I said, hey, why did we lose that deal? Oh, we were too high in price. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were, but maybe we didn't take care of him as he expected. And so I think there is a bit, a shift happening um, in our business, in our industry, and especially, and again, I've we've seen it with newer customers that don't have a history in the business. So we're assuming in a lot of ways that they buy like our, our more traditional customers. And I think even Cat, is, at least on the smaller, you know, compact end, they're starting to recognize, hey, this is a much more retail type experience. There's emotions involved. It isn't always about the math. And so... Oh, I didn't care about the math. Right. I didn't look at the math once. I didn't look at... Well, how does this compare to the others? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't look at. I didn't look at dollars. I didn't get quotes anywhere else. I didn't look at a single data point buying this machine. But if I try to sell it to you as, "Hey, this will lift thirty percent more," and that's and what I tell you. And, and that's all. That's, like a, that's goes marketing, in, right? Yeah, it's like right. a thirty percent more efficient. What the hell does that even mean? That's what <laughs> right. I. That's what I get frustrated about. It's like, what is thirty percent more efficient? Like that's just a made up. That's that's a made up data point. That doesn't do me any good, and that's yeah, not why I'm buying it. <laughs> and it's tough because, you know, going back to Thompson Machinery's territory especially, we, I would say in some ways we're a little bit um, different from a lot of areas because, as I mentioned, a lot of customers are not going online. So they're, they're using different things to make decisions to buy. And so we have to figure out how to take care of that more traditional customer base and market to the non-traditional customer base. And it, and it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. No, and that's what... And, and that was my argument. And that's, I was flawed to begin with. I was very vocal about this three years ago, which is why I was fired by two cat dealers, uh, because I was like, this is the direction you need to go in. This, 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 this. And it is, yeah, go in this direction, but I'm not saying replace what you're currently doing because what you're currently doing is working very well because if you, if you guys are like any other cat dealer, probably record profits last year and record, re- record revenue at least. And, and everyone's making record money. So it's like for me to tell them what they're doing is wrong, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm making record money. I can't, I can't be that wrong if I'm making record revenue. And then you're just a snot-nosed kid. What do you know? So now I've, I've amended my approach to say, okay, hey, you just do what you're doing and it's going to work and it's going to work great. It's already working. I don't even know anything about this stuff. But what I'm saying is maybe think about this too. And this is only going to become more important. This is going to become less important. This is going down. This is going up. And so I would say, you know, I would think you'd want to focus a little bit over here. But right now, they're putting almost nothing into this bucket. Yeah, that's and we've seen that, that again, that shift. And so from a marketing standpoint, let's say, and we're going to send out mailers on the new whatever machine. Well, I mean, we sit around and, and we vet out the, the different design and what should go on it. And at the end of the day, we often come up with one or two pieces, right? But, but in reality, if, if resources were unlimited, we probably need to have five or six and, you know, go after this customer base one way and go after this customer base a, a different way. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, I will say that COVID created a lot of uh, bad things, but the one thing it did create, and at least for our business and probably for a lot of cat dealers, is it created the, uh, the demand for flexibility because, mm-hmm. I mean, we were pretty old school in, in our operation. We've been doing it for 70 plus years. And so um, it's pretty easy to say, well, it works. You know, we've, we've been around for 75, over 75 years. And so, but in reality, 
if you spin that and say, okay, well, let's just look at it from a market share perspective. And, and if, you know, if you have, in a perfect world, we would have 100% of the market, but that's not reality. We know that we have very good competitors and they have good salespeople and, and they have relationships with customers that we're not going to get. So pick a category. We're, we have 40% of the market. Oh, great. Cap wants us to be at 39. We're at 40. What that says is 60% of the market said, I don't want to buy from you. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at it from, from that perspective, um, and kind of to your point, Aaron, of saying, well, okay, that's great. You did good on your 40%. What do we need to do? Because obviously it did not work on the 60%. So yes. if our goal, if, our, if the blue dot is to get to 100%, how do we go after that other segment of the business that we're not getting? And by definition, you have to do stuff you're not already doing. Exactly. It's like very simple math. And yep. and CAT has come down with these very aggressive sales goals for all the dealers. I mean, our, some of the most aggressive goals that I've heard, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you guys under a lot of pressure to go create new market share, new opportunities. To do this, you need to do new things. So that's yep. that's that's my little pitch is like to these dealers, like you got to try new stuff because I know you guys like – you're under sales goals. I'm not under sales goals. I mean, it's not yeah. my problem, but to do yeah. this, you know, here's, I have this over here and you might want to try it out. Yeah. And, you know, Caterpillar has, has a lot of resources to help the dealer with different things, but a lot of dealers are, are different. They have different opportunities, you know, large mining opportunities in, in Arizona, you know, that mm-hmm. doesn't exist in, in Tennessee. No. And so, you know, we have to create, that's great when we get compared to other dealers, because we do look at best practices, but there's a lot of things like that that doesn't that doesn't work for us. No. So we have to figure out what does work for us, and and so, um, yeah, it's a it's a big challenge. Well, we are probably a ways in here. One hour, that's it. Well, we have Alex off to the side. He's eventually gonna have a microphone so he can talk. But right now, well. It'll, it, it depends if I'm thumbs up or giving thumbs him a down. microphone. We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I give him a microphone or not. But he's helping me make sure the audio is good. Um, well, this was uh, quite the – and I didn't really have any goals here. I just wanted to talk cat, talk sales. This is pretty comprehensive. You know, it, it, when I came into the business, I didn't uh, – I came in looking for a job. And so I fell in love with the business and the – the relationships and I'm a pretty competitive, uh, I'm a very competitive person. And so I really like the, um, I like, you were talking about um, problems. And, and so I always try to like, I want to solve the problem. I want to fix this. I'm a mechanical, I'm mechanically inclined. So I love the nature of the business. And so it's, it's a really fun business. I enjoy it. Uh, I think in another life I would have actually been a contractor Um but I really enjoy uh, the dealership world. I enjoy our, our customers, our, our team that, that we have is, is pretty, pretty impressive. There's some days I wish I was a contractor and then a majority of days where I'm glad I'm not a contractor because <laughs> it's a lot of, a lot of nonsense you got to deal with. Well, you know, it, the, the grass is always greener on the other side. The, the, the contractor world has its advantages and the dealership has oh, yeah. its advantages. Yeah. But uh, I enjoy where are part of the our little piece of the the puzzle and uh hopefully i've got a long career remaining at, at thompson with Love good it. customers like you you know and 
I'm not stopping a skid steer. I, I, I tell everyone. <laughs> I know it's you, be a you've lot got, of some, you've got some big goals, right? It's going to be a lot of equipment. And that was my that was my only goal. I wanted to be a contractor because that's naturally the way you own heavy equipment, right? If you own heavy equipment, you got to got to pay for it somehow. To pay for it, you put it to work, move dirt with it. Okay, great. I'll become a contractor. Um, now I, I'm not a contractor, but I found a way to run heavy equipment anyway. That was all I wanted to do, and I wanted heavy equipment with my name on it because. My ego's big, and I want my name on heavy equipment. So we're accomplishing that, and we don't have to be a contractor, which is amazing. I love it. I highly recommend it to anybody. And, uh, yeah, we're sitting in our unfinished office right now. This will be done in June or July, and the plan is to, you know, everyone will be working here. But then, hey, if you're in Nashville, come visit BuildWit. Our name's on the front of the building. Stop in, have a beer, hang out. It'll be you know, the goal of this place is to be just totally transparent and just a place for like a community for not only our business, but the industry as a whole, much bigger picture. So switching gears, I had a question for you. So going back to some of the the struggles that that exist between the cat dealer and the customer and, and um, kind of understanding what the customer needs, obviously you do a lot of traveling. So the customers throughout the United States that that you deal with, what what are, what did they say? What are some of the common themes that, that you hear from them as far as the, the dealer is concerned where we could do things better that, like, we just don't see it? Like, we're, we have a big blind spot that that is blatantly obvious. It's um, – I look at it from a marketing perspective. So I just wish the dealers and CAT would actually talk about the customers more rather than themselves. <laughs> if you look at CAT marketing yeah. – it's all cat. And they say, no, 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 we feature the customers. But every, and, and not to say it's, 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 it's bad or anything. It's all very well done. But it's just cat, they talk too much about themselves. And they should just forget about themselves, in my opinion, and just talk about the customer. That's it. Very simple. And that's what we do. We don't really talk about, oh, uh, microphone's all messed up now. Now we, we lost it. Very, we're... Microphone sliding because it's on a plastic folding table on a floor that's uneven, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, that would just be my, like, that's my one wish for a cat and the dealers is just wholeheartedly focus on the story of the customer because that's going to resonate with people way more than talking about how the skid steer is 30% more efficient. Like, no, talk about how this skid steer, how this customer just put to work their skid steer here in Tennessee, clearing snow for grandma so she could get out of her house and they could get her groceries, you know, in this weird storm for whatever. Or, you know, in Texas, let's, and I know there's a little bit about this, but let's talk about like the, the backup power systems, keeping the hospitals running, the data centers running, all the critical infrastructure going. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I want to see as a customer. And that would make me want to buy cat way more than anything else cat could do, I think. It's funny, you know, we, Obviously, a big chunk of our business is the equipment side of things, but the power generation side is another very, very important and very large component of our business. And so with HCA being based here in town, you know, we support a lot of their hospitals, not just here, uh, with with backup power through hurricanes and natural disasters. And so that often doesn't get talked about as much. It isn't as flashy. It isn't as glamorous. But keeping people alive in a hospital is a pretty darn important thing. No so, kidding. We uh we definitely that's a 
huge component of our business that uh, that maybe doesn't get talked about as as much as it should as compared to delivering a large excavator. So yeah, pretty cool to be a part of that. And it's a huge. Yeah, huge story. It's it's really cool and applies to anybody. It's not just an equipment thing. It's like, yeah, keeping a hospital running, like what's a hospital without power? Well, if the power grid goes down, which it just did in Texas, you can't just shut the hospital off. Like the lights just can't go off in a hospital. Like it doesn't work that way. No, there's very complex backup systems that keep them running. Um, so that's that's what I I just wish like cat just humanized itself a little bit more and made it more about customers and stories. And here's what our customers are really doing with our machines. Here's what our customers are really doing. You don't even say with our machines, like just leave cat out of it because it's apparent. It's very obvious that it is cat. Like we were joking, like you could take the stickers off a 349. You're going to know it's a 349. Like it's, it's not rocket science here. Um, so that's, that's my one. And it's not even like a, criticism anymore because i've learned that people don't respond to me just criticizing openly it's more so just like a hey i really based on i went to 40 states last year i've been around the block now this is what i've seen this is what i want as a customer this is the direction i think we need to go as an industry so it's from a very genuine point yeah but i don't know yeah and you know know. with a cat being as old as they are and, the, and a lot of the dealerships being as old as they are, it's, it's um, old habits sometimes are oh, hard yeah. to change. And, oh. and so. Um, I understand like 2% of the picture too. Yeah. Like I'm not like, yeah, I know there's, there's lawyers and all this stuff and well, there's all this complexity to it. I'm just, this is just my, you know, the viewpoint from an idiot that runs around the country looking at dirt a lot is this is what I would want. Um, and this is what our customers want because we work with people like Dylan Stevens, you know, yep. he was one of those guys, 2012 had a skid steer. Now he's <laughs> buying brand new 349s. <laughs> right. Like it, it right. had happened very quickly. Um, and that's, that's the next generation. You know, the guy's in his thirties, yep. he's not buying traditionally. He's hungry. He's going to be, you know, one of those big accounts one day. He's just doing business differently. That's the only person we work with now. Yeah. I mean, he didn't take the business over from, from his father and, and, uh, no. so it's, yeah, it, and as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we sell tractors. It's, it's not simple. There's a lot of, a lot of complicated pieces to the business that, that yeah. frankly shouldn't be, but, um, we try to making business, making it easy to do business with is, you know, one of our goals and it, that can be a challenging task, but, uh, you know, humanizing the business, as you mentioned, I think is a, is a great way to make, make it easy to do business with. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's for a cat dealer, that, that is obviously tough. One thing that, that we surely could improve on, but I do think we've taken a lot of steps in the, in the right direction on that. Yeah, no, I agree. It's going in the right direction. Well, your microphone's run away from you. So I think that's, <laughs> that's, uh, the sign to maybe wrap up here. We, uh, we'll let you get back to selling tractors. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, on the podcast and, uh, appreciate you having me come out and I know I looked through a lot of the people that were that have been a part of it and and uh, some big pretty big hitters so thanks for getting a middle manager to cat dealer to come out and talk to you hey we want to get <laughs> we want to get full spectrum here yeah. so and 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 well that it's it's funny the the episodes that have resonated the most are from the guys out in the field yeah. compared to yeah. upper management but I want to give I a lot of this is selfish, so I just kind of want to have these conversations and learn more about the industry. And I like to see things from a management perspective because yep. that's where I am and those are the people I work with. But then getting to know 
everything from the bottom and then covering everything in between too is really important. So I'm trying to get a whole spectrum here. I'm trying to get better at that. But, uh, and, and, you know, what we can plug Thompson. If you need a tractor <laughs> in the state of Tennessee or half of Mississippi, give go, us a call. Yeah. Give Thompson a call. TMCAT.com. Yeah. TMCAT.com. And I am a Thompson Cat customer. Yes. And they're not paying me to say this. <laughs> so maybe we can work out an advertising deal one day. That's but, right. That's right. All right, Mr. Trace, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that was Dirt Talk episode 58 with Trace Hall of Thompson Machinery. I appreciate everyone listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you have any shit to talk, anything at all, we have our new podcast hotline, dirttalk at buildwit.com. And please continue sharing the podcast. We have ambitious goals for this. We need your help to accomplish those goals and to get the word out about dirt to as many folks as we can. We will see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk. Dirt Talk.